can I tell you about our Lord and Savior, Stephen Kwan? Welcome to Guarding the Corner. This is James Mastrucci, and laughing under his breath is Brian Fraley. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. I did not know that that introduction was coming, so yes, I was <laughs> I was busy laughing under my breath there. But yeah, happy to be here. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do have a lot to talk about. We will dive into Stephen Kwan, but first we got to uh, recap the last three games of the Royals series. Uh, we did recap the first game on our first episode and preview the other three, but... Uh, game two was a lot like game one. Uh, one to nothing loss in that Mickey Mouse extra innings crap. Um, so painful. It's I, the worst way to lose in baseball. I, I really hate it. The extra innings stuff, right out of the gate with having a guy on second, I don't care for it. Um, I, I've heard suggestions before where you don't put a guy on second until the 12th inning or in the t- you know the 10th inning a guy on first and exactly. the 11th guy starts on second and the 12th the guy starts on third something like that like progressive you know what Uh, i mean i'd be here for that um i think that that would be reasonable because yeah i mean at the end of the day it's about pace of play they want to get these games in under four hours Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh yeah that would make a lot more sense than this but going straight to it uh immediately is just i don't it doesn't make much sense to me It, it and as like it's interesting because in a normal inning, obviously the home team has the advantage because they know what you know the opposing team does in the top of the, the inning. Mm-hmm. But with this, it's like there's such an advantage to knowing what they did in the top of the inning, like more so than normal. So I feel like it gives like an almost unfair advantage to the home team, uh, more so than typical, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And, you know, if for I think a lot of people's fears when this rule was first introduced is that, you know, the first guy is going to bunt over the guy, you know, sack bunt, guy goes to third and sacrifice fly. And while the Royals didn't do that in this game, they are the exact team that would do exactly that. You know what I mean? 100%. They're, they they yep. are the team that would bunt the guy over to third. And hell, that might be an infing, infield single to first, depending on who's bunting. If it's like Merrifield, uh, Witt, or Mondesi. <laughs> that's very true. Depending on what part of their lineup is up at the time. like mm-hmm. it, it, Yeah, they're the perfect team for that. So, you know, even though it was a Hunter Dozier single and, you know, uh, Mondesi drove in Ryan Isbell, uh, but, you know, you look at it like this is the exact team that would, sac- or you know, uh, benefit from this. Or I'm sorry, Kyle Isbell, not Ryan Isbell. I don't know where I got Ryan from. But uh, this is the exact team that would benefit from going with that strategy. But uh, Yeah, 100%. Like all of the faster teams in the league, the teams that play small ball, mm-hmm. um, this is, you know, perfect for them. Um, to get that, I mean, it's just, it's, it shouldn't be that tough for a major league roster to get a guy home from second with zero outs. It just shouldn't like Mm -hmm. if, if you are a fundamental baseball team, you shouldn't be able to make that happen. Uh, and the teams that aren't (laughs) the teams that are, uh, kind of more on the strikeout or hit dingers, uh, trajectory, we'll say, Mm -hmm. um, I think they're really going to suffer from this. Yeah, and you look at uh, teams, uh, they're running a scoring position, batting average in this game. Uh, the Guardians were one for six, the Royals were two for three. Right. And, so right you know, there. Those two hits that they got with runners in scoring position were in the 10th inning. That's right, yeah. So I, I've got that we were one for six with uh, runners in scoring position for this day. Um, so not good. And the one time that we did get a hit with the runner in scoring position, he didn't make it home mm-hmm. successfully. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not good for uh, for the Guardians 
in this day in particular. Yeah, offense definitely struggled again. Um, but the I guess the positive here is that the pitching was good. You know, Zach Plesak went you know five and two thirds, only allowed three hits. Pitching was great. Yeah, I was really happy with his performance. Then we got, you know, uh, two-thirds of an inning out of Brian Shaw spread across two different innings. Uh, Nick Sandlin would finish the uh, sixth inning there. Then Trevor Steffen, Anthony Ghosts all uh, kept them off the scoreboard. Ghosts only needed six pitches to get out of the ninth inning. He had an incredible inning. I, I really loved what I saw from him coming in in the ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It sucks. So who gets tagged with the loss here? Class A. It was, it was Class so, A. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just, it's so, it's a different game to me. Like, this mm-hmm. extra innings, it's a different game. Like, starting with a guy on second is just not, that's not how baseball has ever worked. So, like, that's one of the big qualms I have with it. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, like, to compare it to hockey that recently made a radical change in their overtime you know, they went from having five skaters on the ice to three with the thought that, okay, this is going to create faster offense. The game will end quicker. Um, so, you know, that's great, but it's a different game. Like three on three is a different game than five on five. And that's why in the postseason they go back to regular. And so it's like, what are we doing with these post? You know, I, I just don't understand. Like, to me, extra innings was fine. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was rare when you had one that would go, you know, more than 12, 13 innings. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often. And, you know, uh, Class A gets tagged with the loss here. Uh, he allowed two hits. Uh, a run came across the score, but it was unearned, so it's not charged to him. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, this is just... What does this do to pitchers' numbers, too, for a guy like Class A? You know, like, because he gets tagged with a loss there with no earned runs. You know what I mean? And it's like, at, at the end of the year, like, these pitchers are going to have, like, some marks on their resumes that, like, if you don't know that they occurred in this Mickey Mouse extra innings bullshit world, like, it, it's going to make pitchers look bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have guys, I mean, Class A is lucky since he signed the new five-year extension, but other pitchers in this situation have to go to arbitration, that loss is going to be held against them. 100%. 100%. Yeah, like you said, Class A, he's kind of got the advantage here in this situation. But, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that it's going to affect a lot of things. And I'm, I just – I would hate to be a pitcher to even come in and in extra innings at this point. Yeah. It, it's going to be it's, it's going to be tough to find guys tough. that want to fill that role. Because, you know, unless you take the lead in the top half of the inning, whatever pitcher you have in there is going to be in a non-safe situation. And exactly. I – absolutely despise closers in non-safe situations. I don't know what it is about a closer in a non-safe situation. They just they're just not as good. It no, is... they're not. There's there it's the way that closers are geared too, you know, like a lot of those guys are like, look, there's no way you can get them to do what they do for more than one inning at a time because mm-hmm. they just give every single ounce of energy into every pitch. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's how they're built. You know, they are built for these short spurts of really intense high intensity uh, pitching and when they come in in different situations where the intensity isn't the same or it, it seems like their focus is just not there you know what I mean it's like it's a different type of approach you have to have when you're coming in with more than a three-run lead it is it, it's it's just not it's not the same because either they're they're too wound up they're because they're already wound up to begin with because you know, let's be 100%. honest here uh, a closer is a, a different type of human. There's just that right mix and right uh, combination of like psychopath in there. Yeah, for, John Rocker comes to mind. Like, uh, <laughs> for better or worse, yes. Um, uh, yeah, but that type of personality is perfect for the closer role. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, back in uh, used to be the close for Detroit, Jose Valverde. He was uh, he was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, he yeah. he would dance on the mound after he struck you out, and just like so disrespectful. But he was so cocky about it. Yeah, uh, there's guys that are just born for that type of situation, and when you put them in these non-safe situations, it's like it, yeah, they're just not built for that. It's it's a different approach you have to have on the mound and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I got a lot of guys aren't successful with it, and, and most closers don't want to come in in those non-safe situations. But in this case, it's like you know you need to get guys work. It's early in the year, you know, so I get that. But I don't know. I just don't like it. It's just, uh, I and mean, we'll talk about another closer in a non-safe situation uh, later in this series here. But uh, is there anything else uh, you wanted to uh, take away from this game? Because uh, besides this being, you know, uh, the last game with certain guys in the lineup, um, you know, Stephen Kwan did go two for three with a walk. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I do want to highlight that this game was like, I mean, look at where we were at the end of this game at 0-2, and and the bottom half of our lineup was not hitting as to be expected, but... Mm -hmm. You know, it was dramatically bad. They had one hit among the entire group over the first two games. Um, so, yeah, I want to highlight just the, the the contrast between where we're going to be at once we get caught up on this Guardian schedule and where we were at 0-2. It's just pretty dramatic. So, yeah, with that being said, um, let's talk about some games that were far more exciting. Yeah, so let's talk about the 17-run outburst game. Uh, 17 to three on Sunday, uh, complete, completely different tone for the way this game went. Uh, you know, Stephen Kwan hitting in the two hole again. He went five for five and got, uh, hit by a pitch reaching base all six times, which is just absolutely incredible. They, insane. they, they just tattooed Chris, uh, Bubich, then everybody else, uh, the, the guy who, Allowed the most runs, but he had to just kind of take it on the chin. Was Chex and uh, Coar allowed yes. seven runs on eleven hits in three got and a third? <laughs> yeah, that game is gonna it's gonna be weighty on his stat sheet for a long time to come. They scored six in the first, four in the second, uh, two in the fourth, one in the fifth, another three in the seventh, another one in the eighth. But they just they kept going. It was just like. It, it was incredible. Let's, let's go again. Let's just do it again. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, this is exactly what a team like this needs mm-hmm. uh, because this can, you know, do a lot for a team's confidence. And the way that they kept pouring it on, which mm-hmm. isn't typical of a Guardians team, mm-hmm. like the six-run first inning was great, but like I would have totally like not been shocked had that game finished like six to two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, they, they do that where they'll have a big inning, and then it's like, okay, we get back down to the bottom of the order, and, you know, we're back to square one. But, you know, everybody was hitting, like, up mm-hmm. and down the order. So it, it it was a huge, huge day at the plate for the Guardians that I think can do a lot uh, for this team, and, and definitely in the weeks to come. Yeah, and notably absent in this game from the lineup that were starters in the previous two games were Bobby Bradley, Yu Chang, and uh, Andres Jimenez. Um Owen Miller is, got the start at first over Bradley. Ernie Clement started at second. And, um, oh. They both had good games. Yeah. They, they both had really good games. And, uh, you know, on the first ep- episode of this podcast, you know, we were talking about Bradley and Chang and mm-hmm. some issues that we had with them, you know, being in the lineup. And it, it's just amazing how 
how drastic the difference was when you had those guys removed from the lineup and the other two injected into it. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 not really puzzling. It's like mm-hmm. this makes sense. It makes a lot of sense to me, is what I'm saying. But um, I was shocked to see Quan move to the two hole this early. Um, I was and, too. <laughs> and he, here's why too, because. When you have a young guy like that that's just on fire in his like first series with the big leagues, you don't want to shake anything up. You know, like mm-hmm. he was in the bottom of the order, he was seeing good pitching. Um, mm-hmm. you're always gonna see better pitching down there. And when you put a guy like that in two hole, it's like that could totally change things because he's gonna get better pitching up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he excelled. It was like it, I think the two spot is the match made in heaven for Quan that we kind of were speculating that it could be last episode. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, you look at, you have not sandwiched right between Straw and Ramirez. Okay, so if Straw gets on base one way or the other, hit or walk, or maybe he reaches base on a drop third strike and the ball gets away from the catcher, uh, Quan's going to get pitches to hit. Quan's going to get pitches to hit regardless because they don't want to hit to Ramirez. They don't want to have to throw, you know, heaters to Ramirez. That's, yeah, that's a good point as well. You know what I mean? So they, they would rather take their chances with trying to get Stephen Quan out rather than pitch around him to get to Ramirez, because that's just dumb. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Having Ramirez behind him helps a ton. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just can't say enough about this kid. And it, the numbers jump absolutely off the page at you. You know, five hits, four runs scored. <laughs> you know, at the time, he, he was already at an 800 batting average. <laughs> um, it, just absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, Ramirez behind him had a big day as well. And, mm-hmm. and that goes to your point that, you know, even in the two spot, he's going to see some really good pitching because, you know, they've got Jose Ramirez coming right behind him. And right behind Jose's Fran Miel, and Fran Miel went, you know, two for six. You know, that Which was, was a good game. really good, and, really good to see from Fran Miel. And Ahmed Rosario was four for five on the day, and, you know, he drove in three runs. And I can't believe we haven't we've gone this far into talking about this game. We haven't mentioned Oscar Mercado's uh, Grand Slam in the first uh, uh, inning. Shame on us. Uh, yeah, he, we should have led with that. It's kind of unfortunate that Quan is stealing all of the spotlight because he had maybe his best game as a guardian. Um, they're just absolutely incredible. I mean, he's got the grand slam and a triple back to back and drove in five RBIs, correct? Yeah. Five. Yeah. He, he drove in five on the day. He was, he was two for six. It looked like early on, he was going to go for the reverse, uh, natural cycle because he went That's home right. run, then triple. Uh, he did not get another hit the rest of the way, but, uh, I believe <laughs> Jose fine. Ramirez was, uh, was a triple shy of the cycle in this game. Yeah, I mean, the bats were on fire. Um, everybody was hitting for the team. You know, the only two people that had an appearance in the game that didn't have a hit was uh, Lavastida and uh, Bradley in his brief appearance. Yeah, Bradley um, uh, came out as a defensive replacement. Oh, uh, Jimenez went 0 for 1 uh, later in the game when they were moving Rosario from the game. Oh, when they just started pulling guys right. to make sure people uh, nobody gets hurt. But Yeah, they, but other than that, everybody hit. Yeah, 22 total hits in this game. Uh, which is absolutely insane. And uh, let's talk about the pitching. It was uh, Cal Quantrill's first outing of the, of the season. I thought he was solid. You know, he went uh, five innings, yeah. allowed two runs, uh, four hits, a walk, two strikeouts. I mean, would like to see the strikeouts up a little more, but you know what? I'm not going to complain. Yeah, you know, he's he's not necessarily that type of pitcher, you know, but you do, you do want to see more. You know, you want guys to be swinging and missing because that means you've got good stuff. Um, 
But yeah, in terms of a Cal Quantrill performance, like I'd take this every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd lo- I'd like to see him go a little deeper, maybe. You know, if we could get six innings out of him, that would be great. But yeah, four hits, two earned runs, one walk. Um, great day for Cal Quantrill, or Quantrill, and it kept us from having to go uh, very deep into our bullpen, which is nice when you're having a really big day offensively like that. You don't want to la- waste a lot of arms. Yeah, and they were they were able to use um, use some of their kind of like their back end of the bullpen guys, so they weren't having to rely on you know having to throw in I guess you know like a Brian Shaw or Emmanuel Class A in this game, you know because you know they brought in Eli Morgan, Sam Hedges, and uh, recently acquired Anthony Castro to take the the rest of the four innings. Uh, and to your point about Quantrill, going one more inning would have gotten one of those uh, nice little quality starts, which are yes. very nice to see. Yeah, that's uh, specifically the magic number that you really want to see your pitcher get to. Um, I mean, a quality start, it, it, that's what you want from a starting mm-hmm. pitcher. If, if you can get a quality start every every time, like you're in a very good position to win. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that he he played right to his ability. You know, I, I think this is a good, good stat line for Quantrill. And um, I'd like to see him continue to pitch well because he's he's not, you know, the – one of the star players that we talk about when we talk about the arms uh, that Cleveland has, but mm-hmm. he's, he's really grown into a nice uh, three, three pitcher in the starting rotation. He's in the three spot, right? Um, let me double check. Uh, yep, see Bieber, uh, he's the fourth pitcher. Fourth, okay. Yeah. So uh, Bieber, McKenzie, please at Quantrill. Then Savale is the fifth starter, which by the so way, even better. So Savale starter number five is crazy to me. Okay. That is crazy. Yeah, our starting pitching is great. Um, it, it's a bummer that we don't have a better bullpen because, I mean, you can't say enough good things about all five of those guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, last season, too, you know, they, they all showed us something. Um, and Quantrill, specifically at the end of the year, he mm-hmm. had a really great um, end of the season. So he kind of rolled right into um, the way that he finished the year last year, which was really good to see. Because um, sometimes that's hard to do, uh, to end a season strong and then come in and, and pick up where you left off. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, some of the uh, bullpen guys that they're going to be, you know, exploring are, uh, one, Eli Morgan, and two, Sam Henches. Henches didn't have the best uh, performance last year, but, I mean, for what it's worth in this game, he threw nine pitches all for strikes, got a strikeout, and had a clean inning <laughs> in the uh, yeah. eighth. Uh, yeah, Eli Perfect. Morgan was was pretty solid in kind of you know the two innings that he did you know strike out and a hit over two innings through fifteen of his eighteen pitches for strikes so I mean that's that's pretty solid you know he's Eli Morgan's not going to be uh, probably a high leverage type guy but uh, you know if he has to take a couple innings every few games or so I think he's more than capable of that and if they have to do a, a spot start I think they could just kind of throw him in hope for three to five innings and kind of bullpen it the rest of the way. Uh, I really like that idea for him. He, he is a guy that seems like, you know, you can get a few innings out of him if you really need to. Um, so it was good to see him come in and do well. Um, and th- there's one more stat from this game. Like, obviously, a lot of the stats jump off the page. <laughs> yeah. but, but this one is shocking to me because I, I, I knew that there were quite a few. But we had 22 hits and 17 runs. We also had 25 uh, runners left on base. That's 25, insane. 25 men left on base. Uh, Fran Mill, who had uh, the one RBI, he had seven men left on base. 
uh, just him alone. So there was more room for this team to like score even more during this game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I thought that that was shocking. Twenty five men left on base. You know, you, you, you look at uh, their runners in scoring position, they went 10 for 21 in this game. <laughs> a lot better than the 1 for 6 the, the day before. Uh, so very, very interesting to see the turnaround. And I think a lot of it has to do with they brought in a couple guys that are a little bit more contact-oriented and put them in the lineup and took out two guys that do nothing but swing and miss. Yeah. Um, you know, the going with Owen Miller instead of Bradley. Uh, you know, bringing in Ernie Clement. You know, Ernie Clement, I don't think, is going to be anything particularly special, but I, I do think he has a role on this roster. He's a nice utility player. Like, to a, a guy that you want for depth. I would say that about him. But, yeah, mm-hmm. he's never going to be, like, a star player. Um, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you there for sure. So I, I think that, that makes a difference because this was a, a very Royals-type of game for the Guardians. Yeah, they had a couple home runs. Okay. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you score that many, you're going to have a couple. Yeah. But you look, I mean, it, it was, uh, there was three doubles, there were two triples, and a ton of singles. It was just like death by a thousand paper cuts. And that is the ultimate just morale killer when you're a pitcher. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's brutal on a pitching staff uh, to, to go through a game like that. Um, and how many pitchers did they burn? My goodness. Um, they had five pitchers in this game. Yeah, it, it, you hate to burn that many pitchers in a game that you're just getting waxed in. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, this this is the kind of – if the Guardians want to be a team that, that can create a, a rally and an offensive spark, this is the game plan they really should be following. You know, like, don't don't try to put every ball over the fence. You know, mm-hmm. live, live in the gaps and get on base and let these guys make things happen um, because there's not a lot of big home run hitters in this lineup, you know, outside of, you know, Ramirez and Franmil and, you know, occasionally a couple other guys, but they're the only two that are consistently hitting bombs. So, And you know yeah, what? That's I, fine. That's fine. Yeah, 100% <laughs> fine. If we only hit <laughs> – I mean, two home runs, is that's fine for this team. If we get two home runs, that's great. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it – if we want, uh, I guess, what could a playbook for success look like for this team? I think this game is right down that, right down the alley for how the Guardians should be trying to play. It it, it really is because I've been I've been begging for for the past couple of years for them to to employ more contact hitters because they they've had guys that are big swing and miss guys and it was just like ultimate just rally killer you know yep where you know bobby bradley comes up strikes out on three or four pitches and then in comes domingo santana he does the same thing hanley ramirez uh cesar hernandez who for some reason decided to become a power hitter when he's more productive as a contact hit to the gaps guy yeah. uh you know what i mean so seeing these guys in the lineup and just being absolutely useless so often was just it was it was so just depressing and just be like, yeah. oh, come on, just somebody hit a single for me. A single would do the world for this offense. And I mean, sure, they got a lot of singles hitters in the lineup currently, but they have some guys that can stretch them into doubles and some guys who can even get the, the doubles and triples on a regular basis. Yeah, I, there, there's a lot of teams in the league that, that are okay with striking out a ton, but they can be, you know, because mm-hmm. they, they've got the sluggers on their team that once in a while, that you know, they're going to get the big the big hit, the big home run, you know, but like we can't, we're not that type of team, you know, 
so uh, this is the way, you know, and, and to see to see the guys at the bottom of the order to be able to have that that approach where it's just like, okay, I just need to put the ball out there and, and try to make something happen and get on base. It's going to make the bottom of that order much more productive. And they were incredibly productive. I mean, uh, Miller, Clement, and Mercado were a combined uh, seven for 17 in this game. Incredible. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. And that's why I wanted to highlight the way that we were feeling after the first two games, because it was like we had gotten nothing out of any of those guys. Yeah, outside of the one game of Stephen Kwan down there. Right, right. But he's obviously a quinomaly. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. That it was a statistical quinomaly. I love that one. Add that to the list of Stephen Kwan puns that are making uh, making <laughs> their rounds on Twitter and the internet. All uh, I have to say is get used to them because there are so many more coming. Yep, we are live down here at the corner of Carnegie and Quantario. Uh, yeah, we were a This Is Believeland podcast. We are now a Stephen Kwan podcast. So, uh, yeah, we are here for all the puns, and we'll probably be the ones making most of them. Uh, guarding the corner, a Stephen Kwan puncast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, all right, let's get to the final game of the series. Uh, it was ten That's to seven. Good one. It was a good one. Ten to seven. Not as great for the pitching staff, other than Savali. I don't know. Savali had an okay day. Savali did all right. Uh, he had uh, two unearned runs come across. Uh, part of that was on a Stephen Kwan error. Yes. Uh, but wow, that sounds weird coming out of your mouth, doesn't it? It does. But you know, you, you look at this lineup; it's essentially the same lineup as the day before. They put uh, Jimenez back in for Clement. Uh, Jimenez went one for two. Clement went one for two. So yep. you know, awesome. But. Again, Stephen Kwan went one for three. He had two walks earlier in the game. Owen Miller, three for five. Ahmed Rosario, two for five. Uh, still have yet to uh, register a hit by any of our catchers. Um, ah, terrible. I, I was going to bring that up after this, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, zero hits from the catcher position. It's dreadful. Uh, the, the whole situation there offensively is not good. Um, and Hedges didn't have his best game defensively as well. Um, mm -hmm. He had kind of an off day, if you ask me. Yeah, he did. It wasn't it wasn't his best day. Um, they were running on Hedges. It, it could have been yes. part of, part of Savali too, but they were they were not afraid to to go for it. They stole three bases in this game, and it's from the usual suspects in Royals: Merrifield, Mondesi, and Witt Jr. Right, and, and I mean, there's no shame in giving up stolen bases to those guys because you mm -hmm. know they are—they're all good base stealers. You know, it's not like, not like they gave it up to, uh, you know, one of the bigger players on the team. We'll say <laughs> it's not like Salvador uh, Perez or Carlos there Santana, go. There or we go. Uh, like uh, back in the day uh, when uh, Cleveland was uh, featuring Matt Laporta at first base, and he had that uh, weird stolen base where the ball got thrown back to the pitcher, and he was looking down at the ground, <laughs> and he stole second when nobody was paying attention. That was one of my favorite yeah. stolen bases ever. Absolutely epic. Yeah, those are the kind of stolen bases that once you see those, then you have something to be worried about. So I'm not too worried about Hedges there. I really do think they found something in Savali that day. They had him timed up or something because – I, I mean, Hedges' throws weren't terrible. They weren't his best, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that, that that was kind of anomalous for me. But the, the more shocking thing was, you know, Hedges just having kind of like a lapse in concentration 
on that ball that him and uh, Jose Ramirez kind of miscommunicated on. Mm-hmm. He he did make a really nice play, but you know, Hedgie has to know like Jose was playing deep. You know, mm-hmm. he was he was never going to make that play. He he should have been on top of that from the start. Um, so yeah, just not. We're used to Hedges just being so good defensively that all we can really say about him is the dude can't hit. But this wasn't his best game defensively either. So it's like if if you're not gonna hit from that position at all, you got to be better. Yeah, and I, I think Hedges probably had his worst game of the season uh, on both sides of the plate in this game because not only did he have a rough day behind the plate, uh, he tripped over his own bat when a sacrifice bunt. Gosh, that was painful to watch. I mean. <laughs> Good for him on executing because, like, I, I, I just was not expecting him to execute that. But, yeah, how, how do you trip over your own <laughs> bat that you are in control of laying down at your mercy wherever you would like, and he puts it right in front of his own feet and falls over it? Like, he couldn't have just tossed it behind him. He had to, like, carry it a couple steps, and he's like, going to set it down gently. Like, dude, just, just drop it he- and go. Yeah, I'm telling you what it was. He was so shocked that he put the bunt down. He didn't know what to do with the bat. He's like, oh, shit, what do I do now? Because, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he just has no confidence at the plate. He looks so scared up there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that was the one the one good thing he did was also one of the bigger blunders that he did at the same time. So Yeah, it, it was. Uh, th- this game was kind of close uh, kind of early on a little bit, and things got a little uh, testy late. Uh, you know, the they were up 2 nothing, then it was cut to 2-1. to one. Mercado homers for the second straight day, which is just, like, completely, Incredible. completely just unexpected. Uncharacteristic, unexpected, yeah. I, it, it, like I said, it's uh, it, if Stephen Kwan wasn't absolutely taking over the entire city right now, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that a lot of people would be talking about him and, and his, you know, back-to-back pretty good games for this guy. Yeah, they are good games. He did drive in three runs homer twice. Uh, you know, his slash line's still a little bit rough hitting onto the Mendoza line, but, you know, uh, he's his first couple games were not great, but he's done better in the last two. So I think things are trending upward in, in that regard. Uh, the Royals did tie it at four midway through. Then, you know, Jose Ramirez and Fran Meal did their thing, you know, driving some runs. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt like once they tied the game up that uh, it could have went the other way very easily. Mm-hmm. And Brian Shaw did not have his best day. Uh, he, he did not. He nearly gave the game away. You know, bases were loaded with nobody out. Yeah, he he did not look like himself at all, um, and he, he kind of got bailed out uh, by some of the guys that came in behind him because he very easily could have got the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, but eh, that's it's too early to to worry too much about that with Brian Shaw, I think. But but yeah, it, it was it was a game that very easily we could have lost. Um, so to see Jose and Franmil, you know, come up big when we really needed it is. It's very uh, it leaves me optimistic about the offense this this year. I I'll say that. Same for me too. And for what it's worth, I just don't think the Royals are a good matchup for Brian Shaw to be pitching. Honestly, because his, his, his primary pitch is a cutter. Okay, right. And, and you know when your primary pitch is a cutter and you're facing a team that is really good in the contact department, they're gonna put it in between guys. 
Uh, yeah, especially if your cutter is not cutting, which mm -hmm. his was not. Uh, his cutter looked a lot more like a four-seam fastball, and that's a problem. Um, <laughs> it's a big so, problem. That's just a cement mixer. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was one of those days that, like, he just did not look like he had it from the start. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, only one-third of an inning pitched, and, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a good day for him. But, yeah, we got the win and uh, continued to score more runs in the eighth and the ninth inning, which was good to see as well. I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about uh, the play of the game, okay? In the eighth, bases loaded. Stephen mm. Kwan comes up. He's facing. Uh, he's facing one of the. Time. I can't remember the guy's name right now. It is. Was uh, it Brents? Uh, do, 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 do. It was Barlow. Barlow it was Barlow. Barlow. Scott okay. Barlow. Uh, you know, bases were loaded. Two out. Stephen Kwan comes up. And he biggest says, moment of his career. Biggest moment so of far, his young career. Yep. So far, it is the, the biggest moment of his career. But Stephen Kwan comes up and clears the bases on a triple. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, and, and he's a guy, too, that, like, you know, he's a singles guy. He's a guy that likes to slap it and, and get on base. Um, so to see him have, like, a day slugging like he did, too, you know, and filling the gap and, and you know, hitting – hitting is strong enough to, to make it to third. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was great to see from him. It was the biggest moment of his young career so far, and he came up huge in it. So uh, he's been put in just about every position that he can be put in, and up to this point he's been successful in almost all of them outside of his error in the field. Yeah, and he made up for his error right there. He by, did. You know, by sending Dollar General Mike Clevenger to the quantum realm. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> that he that really guy did. looks like the Dollar General version of Mike Clevenger. Okay, that, that's a very good way to put it. Um, shout out. He he did say he hasn't cut his hair since 2017. I haven't cut my hair since 2016, but I use conditioner, and it doesn't look like he does. Oh, he so doesn't. That he makes does a huge, 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 huge <laughs> difference. Yeah, <laughs> he does not. But uh, I, I noticed this during uh, during the game. They mentioned it during the broadcast that the the Royals are playing Quan extreme extremely to the left. So when he drove it to right field, there was nobody there to field was, the ball in time, which allowed him to get the perfect. third. It was absolutely perfect. And like, it, did he mean to put it exactly right there? Maybe, maybe not. But that's exactly where he needed to put it in that situation, mm -hmm. uh, and he did. So yeah, it was a great piece of hitting. Um, he just has such a good approach and it's like if, if he swings he is not missing um, so yeah it's uh, that's a guy you want up to bat in those moments with the bases loaded because you, you don't have to worry about him striking out in that moment like he's going to put the bat on the ball and at least make somebody make a play mm -hmm. yeah he is and he made somebody have to make a play and unfortunately uh, it resulted in three runs for the Guardians in the top of the eighth in a right. one run game you know, this that was the literal definition of clutch hitting. Uh, absolutely, 100%. Um, yeah, it, it, incredible. And, you know, shout out to Tito for moving him up to that two spot too because, you know, he wouldn't have been in that situation late in the game mm -hmm. had he not been moved up to the two spot. So uh, I think it's great, great that he took a chance on this kid early, uh, moving him up there to the top of the lineup. Yep. And uh, in the bottom half of that inning, the, the Royals did get two back. Uh, Andrew Benintendi homering off of Emmanuel Classe, turning it into That's a right. safe situation, even though Classe was in, in a non-safe situation. Again, 
I hate closers <laughs> and non-save situations. We were just talking about it, and this is exactly why. This is exactly because the complete opposite of the other game, where guys get a little bit too wound up, a little bit too relaxed this time. Uh, I got that's... five runs to work with. I don't gotta be that sharp. I can just cruise through this. Well, and I'm telling you, that's that's not good for a guy like Classe that just throws absolute smoke. Like he needs to be a guy that's like in those real tight situations because that's when he's at his best. Um, but yeah, he looked a little bit lost out there in that situation. He did, and it, it that just and that stinks. Honestly, that stinks. Unfortunately, that that happens. it does. Cause, it does because you'd love to like when you need to get him work, you'd love to be able to put him in that situation, but. Um, they're, they're definitely going to be hesitant moving forward to bring him in in that situation moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I understand that he needs work for four games in, and, you know, he there really wasn't any save situations for him to be in, you know, because yeah. the, the first two games were, were low-scoring losses, and the second two games were... Uh, the first one was comfortable win. This one was semi-comfortable, became a little less comfortable. Like yes. Uh, you got to wonder a little bit how much uh, those first two outings are going to uh, stick in his head uh, as the season progresses. He's still a young guy. He's not like some 30-year-old uh, you know, closer with tons of experience. He's still very inexperienced compared to other closers in the league. Uh, I agree 100%. He's still young. And uh, the other thing, too, is he's he just got paid. You know, and and let's be honest, sometimes when guys get paid, they lose a little bit of their focus. And I hope that that's not what this is, Um, Mm -hmm. but it very well could be, you know, it could be, you know, that he's just so relieved to have gotten his his paycheck, you know, that he's kind of lost focus a little bit. But, yeah, we'll see. But I, I, I hope that this doesn't affect him too much moving forward. Yeah, and let's let's hope not. But let's talk about some some good stuff. We we talked about him a lot already. Stephen Kwan. Okay. Yes. There's a lot of fun numbers coming out with Stephen Kwan. Okay. Uh, first of all, his last strikeout was on September 26, 2021, with AAA Columbus. That includes spring training this year. My God, he didn't strike out once all spring. It's incredible. Uh, He's reached base 15 times in his first four Major League Baseball games, the most times on base in the first four career games since at least 1901. And when you like look at those numbers, it's always guys with crazy names like uh, uh, like Chancellor Winston and and you know <laughs> like uh, uh, Charles Barrel uh, Johnson and all those stupid <laughs> names. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bunch. It was a different game back then. Uh, essentially, what he's done it has never been done in today's uh, baseball. Yeah, pretty much. Because you know, we we look at you know everything else that's happening. He's currently uh, qualified batters who have not had a swing and miss miss yet this season. Stephen Kwan's at twenty six. Eloy Jimenez is at eighteen. Ryan Jeffers is at twelve, and that's it. That's it. That's incredible. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's. Uh... It's even more rare today than it has been in the past. You know, a, a lot with, uh, you know, launch angle and advanced analytics, like uh, strikeouts have become a lot more uh, prevalent, I'll say. So this is just even more like just shows how much of a throwback player Stephen Kwan is. Mm-hmm. And uh, most times uh, reaching safely in the first four games of season since 1900. Stephen Kwan has 15. That's second behind Cal Daniels in 1988. He's tied with Jeff Bagwell in 04, Tony Gwynn in 1996, and Harry Heilman all the way back in 1923. My goodness. Absolutely incredible. So, Who could have saw any of this coming? This is just insane. Like, we were, we were excited for Stephen Kwan, but 
we didn't know this was on the on, on the horizon. Yeah, and and I don't know. It's it's so rare for like something like this to happen in baseball. Like you get it in basketball a lot. Like uh, guys that get hot, you know, that are really like sixth men or bench guys, and they'll have a couple really good games. But in baseball, it's a lot rarer to have something like this. So this is just like such a shocking and awesome anomalous start to a year for a guy that, you know, we definitely had a lot of faith in going forward, but, but you know, nobody could have expected this. I mean, you're right. Nobody could have expected this because we, we look at, you know, who they've, some of the other prospects that they've trotted out before and they've been relatively unexciting out of the gate. And, and you know, then they ultimately end up like on everyone's, like essentially their shit list. You know, we, yep. we, we've mentioned two of them already in, in Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang. Yep. But then, you know, you, you look at some of the other guys that have come up or and they just haven't been good. Like Daniel Johnson was not good at all during his short uh, stint with the team. Right. This is very Akil Badu-esque, it feels like. Yeah, Akil Badu-esque. Uh, you know, your mean Mercedes has some of the similar numbers from last yeah. year as well. But, you know, like the difference between someone like your mean Mercedes and... Uh, Akil Badu and Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan is that uh, Yermi Mercedes is like five years older than all those guys. So true, true. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know, the, he wasn't. He was hitting home runs, like sure, but he wasn't like doing this. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. This is just transcendent. What he's doing, it, it really is. It's it, it just it hasn't been done for, done before, and there's a reason for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and like I said, you know, today's baseball is it's a little bit different than it was in you know '90s, early 2000s. So it's like it's even more of an anomaly for a guy to do what he's doing now than it would have been then. And you know, I I sent you this while watching the game it was either yesterday or the day before, but he has the batting stance like like Tyler Naquin, but he has like the plate vision of Michael Brantley. It's amazing, and, and usually with guys with, with, like, big leg kicks, like, you know, because he does. He has a big leg kick. Mm-hmm. Like, you, those are not guys that you expect to be very consistent hitters. They're the ones that you expect to be streaky. Um, usually a short, compact swing is the type of swing you see from a player who fits his characteristics. Um, so he kind of goes against the grain in that way. It, he really does, and, you know, there's a, there's a great – story by uh, Zach Meisel in The Athletic talking about, uh, you know, one of the things that have led to his success and it's that from a a very young age, Stephen Kwan Mm -hmm. played pinball. Oh my, that is so interesting. So the the hand-eye coordination that's required and the timing and next level it's it's very much needed it's it's reminiscent of like uh you hear that in boxing a lot where a guy will be like like uh vasily lomachenko for example Mm -hmm. he's a guy that like they always talk about how when he was a kid he was he was uh involved in ukrainian dance and so like he has this next level elite footwork that like Mm -hmm. he he never would have got if he didn't have that and that's what that that feels very similar to me. It, it feels like a uh, a skill that that really translated well into his baseball game and his approach at the plate. Yeah. So uh, if anyone has not read that story on the athletic, I suggest you do so. It's fantastic. 
And, and you know, you can you can obviously see the connection. You know, having the hand eye coordination from pinball to baseball, it, it makes sense. Like the story tracks. It's not like someone's just like, oh yeah, I did this all the time. It's just like that doesn't make any sense. Like this makes Let- sense. <laughs> What would also make a whole lot of sense to me is if on the home opener he walks out the pinball wizard. Oh, that would be so good. Uh, I uh, saw, uh, I saw somebody else suggest uh, uh, the song "Hit the Quan." Oh, okay. That'd be pretty good yeah. too. That'd be fun. But oh, pinball wizard, that would be so, so elite, so, so elite. Good. Yeah. So for for the fans that have a little bit of a a deeper interest in baseball, they'll get that. It'll be one that they'll very, they'll really appreciate that. I'm really rooting for Pinball Wizard now. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to tweet that at uh, the powers that be and suggest it. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty good. Uh, let's do a little hop around the the league before we get into our preview for the next uh, two games, a little short series in Cincinnati. Uh, we watched a couple other games this weekend. Uh, two primetime games, two national broadcast games. Uh, Sunday night baseball's Red Sox Yankees game. Um, what a, it was a great game. It was a fantastic game. I'm was kind of surprised that the Red Sox won. To be honest with you, so was I. This one felt like one that the Yankees were gonna win the whole time to me. But uh, yeah, so I was a little surprised there. Um, but yeah, this this feels like the probably the format we'll use going forward is we're we're gonna cover every Guardian series, um, but then we're also gonna highlight pretty much game of the nights that happen in between yeah I mean, we'll pick like one or two select games most of the times two depends on you know in between but we'll pick a game or two and you know kind of highlight them because you know we we do love baseball across the board and we do love yes. to watch good good baseball games and we had two really good baseball games that we watched uh you know starting with red sox yankees here and Man, I really thought this was just going to be one of those just Yankee ass whoopings at home. You know, first Sunday night primetime game, them just hitting bomb after bomb, and it didn't happen. No, it didn't happen, and and it did feel like it was set up for that. Uh, I I was expecting a lot of home runs. Um, So, no, we didn't get that. Um, And I mean, a lot of that is, you know, batters are still getting warmed up and things, and guys aren't in their zone. Um, But, yeah, it, it... it went against how I thought it would. Um, I had the Yankees money line, and I had a couple home run props that didn't hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, disappointing. I also thought the over was going to hit. The over uh, was at 8.5, and, a half and uh, they only had seven runs between the two. Mm-hmm. So very uncharacteristic of a, a Yankees-Boston Red Sox game that uh, I would have anticipated. Yeah, and you, you look at uh, you know who did homer in this game, because there's only one home run in the entire game, and that mm-hmm. was uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. That's right. You know, it, yeah. it, it wasn't Stanton. It wasn't Judge. It wasn't, you know, Joey Gallo or Josh Donaldson, Anthony Rizzo. It yeah, was, that was that uh, in the sixth inning when he homered. Yeah, uh, and it gave okay. the, the Red Sox the lead for good. Yep. Uh, it's just like, okay, this is this is kind of weird. You know? Yeah. Another thing we got during this game, James, I, I don't know if you were watching the same stream that I was, but the, the Kike Hernandez mic'd up in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Did you did you happen to catch any of that conversation that he was having uh, during the game? I was able to catch it the next day because uh, the clips were posted on Twitter. Yeah, it, that was fascinating to me that they they were really chirping with him and and like he's explaining to them exactly what he would do in that situation if the ball came his way mm-hmm. and then it comes his way and you know he doesn't exactly make the play but um, yeah I was kind of shocked it it was like. 
let the man do his job a little bit, but it was also very cool. Like mm -hmm. it, it was interesting to hear a guy like talk through, okay, this is what I'm doing if the ball is hit my way right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, we saw it last year, uh, Anthony Rizzo was, uh, mic'd up, uh, in a Cubs Braves game. And he had that moment when he was trying to chase down Freddie Freeman in between first and second, just yelling, Freddie, Freddie. Oh, so good. <laughs> it does make some for very, like it makes for some really compelling, you know, moments, but, as a Red Sox fan in that moment, I would have been like, please just let my guy field. Like, give me a break. But um, I mean, luckily the Red Sox won this game for that. You know, if yes. he would have made a blunder and they lose because of him talking <laughs> into a mic. It just feels like something, James, moving forward that like, because they're going to continue doing it, yeah. obviously. Uh, it, it feels like something that's going to lead to uh, a bad moment that fans are going to be really upset about. You're right. And I, I think... Uh, it's better that they do this early on in the season where, you know, uh, if there was a bad moment, uh, you know, the ramifications standings-wise aren't as massive. True. There's true, still a like, lot of games to play and a lot of things that can, you know, work themselves out. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a Yankees-Red Sox game happening this early in the season, they obviously don't have as high of stakes as mm -hmm. uh, if they were meeting in August or September. Um, so, yeah, that makes a big difference. <clears throat> yeah, but... Uh, Bottom of the ninth, closer Jake Diekman made pretty quick work of some of the better hitters in the Yankee lineup. He struck out Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, and Joey Gallo in three straight at-bats. That's as impressive as it gets uh, for, for a guy coming in in a safe situation to, to do what he did, to strike out all three of those batters. Um, as, as a Yankee fan or as a person who had money on the Yankees like this guy did, <laughs> uh, I I really that's exactly who I wanted up uh this felt like an Aaron Judge home run night to me mm -hmm. I don't know why you kind of said the same thing it was like this just feels like a judge game um but yeah he he went through all three of them <laughs> he made light work of uh one of the hardest stretches of lineup that there is in all of baseball yeah and and it's not like it's you know just you know they're all from one side of the plate I mean there's you know this it's two righties and a lefty so you got to navigate both you know both sides right. of the, the, the plate there, especially, you know, when you got Gallo, who can just hit some line drive that's only a home run in Yankee Stadium. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they have that advantage, too. But, you know, I, I did feel it was like it'd be a judge night. I just thought it was going to be one of those nights where he hits a home run, and then they flash over to the judges' chambers, and then that next commercial break, they have that, you know, swing at Aaron <laughs> Judge, and then you have yeah. him smiling going across the bases as they go into the top of the next inning. I just thought that was just destined to happen. It felt that way to me too. Um, yeah, that this one went this one went counter to uh, to what I had expected on the night. <clears throat> Anything else of note that you wanted to, to touch on in this particular game? No, I was gonna get I was gonna touch on the Deepman save situation, but you got to it before I could. So uh, yeah, that was just uber impressive um, for him to get that save against those three guys. So mm -hmm. yeah, that was an awesome performance by him. Uh, I definitely wanted to highlight his performance in particular. Yeah, I mean, it was very impressive. Uh, let's get on to the the game we watched last night after the Guardians took care of business in Kansas City. This Mets, one? Phillies. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, it was a good start for Mets fans. It was, it was good, great. Good, yeah, good start to the game. And then things sort of went. They, they messed Metsified it, if that makes sense. They, this, they do what the New York Mets do. This was the most Mets loss of all time. 
that's that's how I was trying to word it. That's a good way to put it. The most Mets Mets loss of all time. Because they they were up four to nothing. Everything's going good. They get to the bottom of the eighth, and then <sighs> Trevor May allows a run. Uh, yeah. You know, then they then they bring in Jolie Rodriguez. He allows two more. Then Seth Lugo allows two more to complete the process and blow the save completely and lose the game. Yeah, it was incredible to watch. I mean, all three of those guys just came in and struggled immensely. Um, you know, it, it this felt a little bit like Philly being the home team, you know, and really mm-hmm. taking advantage of uh, a really electric atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, but... This is one that, you know, as, as a Mets fan, you're happy that it happened earlier in the year as well. Just like the uh, Boston and New York game, you're happy that this this loss came uh, early in the year because that could have been very, very painful if they had something uh, in terms of postseason seeding on the line. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the things to, I guess, focus on moving forward is uh, Taiwan Walker left after just two innings with a, an apparent shoulder injury. And this was a shoulder injury, apparently, that bothered him and previously so that's a little never bit concerning good. that's concerning because you know he looked he looked pretty good he had he was perfect through two innings had four strikeouts he's not particularly a strikeout pitcher um or at least he yeah, hasn't been hate, lately you hate that for him because you're exactly right he he came in and was giving us really good stuff for a, a couple innings there and uh yeah he he definitely looked like he was in some pain and whenever it's something that you know has been a nagging issue and it's a pitcher, your immediate thought goes to, oh, it's just going to need a surgery. Um, so it's going to be interesting to uh, to see what the diagnosis is on that, and hopefully he can bounce back from it because he looks really good. I mean, and he kept the pitch count down too. That's something that this this Mets bullpen really needs is, is length out of their starters considering they're, they're without Jacob deGrom right now. Yep. And, you know, uh, so they had to bring in uh, David Peterson. He, mm-hmm. went, he was pretty good too. David Peterson, you know, allowed three hits, walked two over four. I mean – you can't really he ask had, much more out of a guy being thrust into a situation he didn't expect to be in. Uh, no, he he, he kind of came in in that, that secondary starter role after uh, Walker had to leave early and uh, played that role very, very well. Um, so, yeah, he, he did everything that the Mets needed him to do, and it's it's unfi- unfortunate that once uh, May came into the game that the, the wheels fell off the way that they did because, uh, yeah, he had a nice day. Yeah, uh, conversely, uh, Ranger Suarez did not have a nice day. Uh, Mm -mm. 63 pitches in just two and two-thirds innings, allowing three runs on five hits, striking out just one. Um, His ERA right now is uh, nearly uh, nine runs higher than it was at the end of last season. Uh, (laughs) That is no bueno. So that's kind of a problem. Awesome name, though. He has a great baseball name. Oh, he does. Ranger Suarez is a great name. Uh, I would say that a teammate of his, the one that got the win, may have a better name, Sir Anthony Dominguez. Uh, okay, okay. That's I'll a pretty good. That's a pretty good name, right? That is a good name. That's a strong baseball name. Yeah, but uh, he was solid in the in the eighth. Brad Hand came out in the ninth, and I can't believe he actually completed the save because I couldn't either. <clears throat> we've seen Brad Hand in his better days and his not-so-better days, because he was still a really good closer when he came to Cleveland from San Diego. But he was. by the end of his, his time in Cleveland, you could tell that the... it was You could see 
the weaknesses starting to take shape, being like, uh, okay. The, yeah, there was a significant deterioration um, from when he came to the Guardians and when he left. Um, so, yeah, for him to come in in this situation and to uh, to get the save, it, it, that was shocking to me as well. So if, if they can get a lot of that from him this year, I mean, look out, because that's that's something that you do not expect from him at this stage of his career, I would say. Yeah, and especially, like, how uh, much he struggled last year with the Mets. You know, it's it's kind of ironic this that in this particular game, Brad Hand gets the lockdown save where the Mets' bullpen implodes, and he was part of that bullpen last year. Yeah, and they might have thought, you know, getting rid of him eliminates part of that problem. And in this instance, he came in in that situation and owned it. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at the the box score here. Something kind of funny. May, Rodriguez, and Lugo all threw 18 pitches, and they all threw 11 strikes. My goodness. Isn't that fun? That is fun. That's very fun. They should be playing 11 in the uh, the lottery tonight somewhere, you know, or something. <laughs> 18 and 11 should be uh, two of your numbers. Uh, it... <laughs> <laughs> for the Kino players, our, our Kino fans. Yes, shout out Kino fans. Uh, yeah, shout out to them. Uh, maybe go uh, eight, uh, three, eighteen, and eleven because it was three pitchers that needed eighteen Ooh. pitches, and they all I had eleven really, strikes. I really like that, and three is a very holy number. So yeah. you got God, you got God on your side. And and one thing I'll tell you, as a, as a degenerate gambler, you want to have God on your side. <laughs> <laughs> because you get put in some compromising positions, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I had a bad day betting the bases yesterday. I'll say that Ugh. I did not do well, which is a, a bummer because I had an awesome spring and I had a really good start to the MLB season too. But yesterday I was 0 for 4 on my Ooh. baseball picks. Hey, yeah. good news! Today's another day. It uh, is another day, and other good news is there's a full slate of action. So yeah, there is there is a very full slate. Uh, you know. If you're looking at a potential, uh, it's in the Cosmos Destiny options. Just going to say out there, uh, the Pirates home openers today, it's 412 day, their area code. Oh. And the game starts at 412. Okay. So. That's uh, that's got me opening my bet DSI account right now to try to put a little <laughs> wager on that. That's Destiny. That is Destiny. If we're talking Destiny bets, that one definitely fits in the this is going to happen because the universe said it's going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, like I said, if you've got God on your side, you can do just about anything. <laughs> uh, there's one uh, thing I wanted to touch on before we got into uh, this little Guardians Reds preview. Uh, PitchCon. Uh, yes. This is really cool. I am a big I, fan of PitchCon. I think so, too. Because they, um, they, they had the little preview during the Sunday night game of you know what it sounds like. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just this little pad, and it's got just a little thing, a uh, little sweatband speakers built in, and it tells you, you know, fastball away or fastball in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, I think it this allows, is fantastic. Yeah, it allows the catcher to to give the pitcher not only you know what pitch, but also a location, mm-hmm. um, which, which is great. Um, and, and from what I heard, these things are all customizable and programmable. So, you know, if you have a pitcher that has six different pitches that he tries to mix in, you know, there's, there's some guys that throw a lot of pitches, you know, they might have a pitch. They only throw three or 4% of the time, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's still part of their arsenal. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like something that, uh, it, it, it looks like it was an effective way to execute this, I'll say. Yeah, like, for example, I think Hugh Darvish throws, like, 12 different pitches. 
Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's only, uh, the languages right now are English and Spanish. Uh, they still have to add more uh, languages and dialects to the, the database. Uh, you right. Know, for, you know, any of the uh, the Japanese or Chinese or different dialects of those. Um, the, I'm the sure buttons, that won't take long. It, you know, it, it seems like with the technology in place now, that'll, that'll be soon to follow. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, but the, the buttons are customizable, so they're able to switch up the buttons during the game on the catcher. So, yep. you know, it's... They're, no, they can't like get a jump on those signs. <laughs> it's, the, it's just like the old school sign ceiling. They can't get a jump on. Oh, when he presses the button, you know, up and left, it's a it's a fastball middle in. Uh, exactly. That's you know, the so, other thing. Is it's kind of the pitch com. Like I saw the wristband or whatever. Mm-hmm. It does kind of look like it's set up for like positionally. Mm-hmm. Like if you want it up and in, it's top left, or if you yeah. want it up and away, it's top right. Um, so like in that way, you, you might want to mix it up because if you're a batter and you look down and you see him like pushing towards the left of that wristband, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, okay, well this is coming inside. And so, yeah, I think it's good that they can kind of switch that around if they need to. Um, so nobody gets an edge there. Yeah. And, uh, I believe, uh, the, the Yankees catcher, uh, Kyle, uh, Higashioka had it on his knee pad. Mm-hmm. And so Which, he was he was able to just kind of press it with one hand, cover it up with this catcher's mitt on the other. That's smart. That's really smart. Yeah. That's it, he's able to do it nice real quick. It's a good spot for it, and he's able to just mm-hmm. cover up with his catcher's mitt. And I think that's really uh, really good. I did he- hear that there are some complaints from some of the batters being feeling like they're getting rushed or quick pitched because of it. But like that's to be expected. It anytime is. hit anytime hitters feel like pitchers have an edge over them, they're gonna get really loud. Um, so yeah, I fully anticipated that being a part of it, but I mean, let's face it, like baseball coming out of a lockout situation, like it's, we, (laughs) we need everything to go smoothly as Mm -hmm. possible. So for this technology to be introduced and to be pretty effective right away, um, is really good to see. Um, and it's going to do a lot for pace of play. So I hope that more teams adopt it because it seems like some of the old school players and coaches are. Um, being kind of stubborn, and they don't want to implement it. They are, and it, it is doing wonders for pace of play. The game has rhythm. I haven't seen a game with this much rhythm in so long from from yep. the pitcher standpoint because it's always been just so long. The guys just taking their time, and just yep. like the guy gets the ball, he already knows what, what the catcher wants pitch-wise and location-wise. Once the batter gets in, it's go time. Like yep. they, they tried uh, pitch clock, didn't do shit. They took okay. the – they tried doing the uh, the three batter minimum. That didn't do anything. You know, yep. they, they, they tried just other things to try and speed the game up. Didn't do shit. Yeah, this just makes so much sense. Um, and, and with, like, instant replay and other things being instituted too, like, I'm all for efficiency. Like, yeah. it, 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 it's good for the game, especially for baseball, which is a game that is, you know, notoriously a slower pace of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a longer game. You know, it's a soccer match, you know, it's 90 minutes. Uh, not baseball. You know, you could you could be looking at a, uh, a one nothing pitcher's duel that ends in an hour and 45 minutes or a a 17 to three game that takes six hours, you know, it's, it's just, it could fall anywhere in between those two. So yeah, it's different. And so for a game that needs that desperately, I think that it's, it's, uh, this is perfect. This is the way, this is a better alternative than those, uh, other options were. 
I mean, it's it's amazing how simple just a little piece of technology is to speeding up the game and all these other hokey rules and stuff they tried putting in didn't do anything. You know what yeah, I mean? And... Like just just small, maybe a couple minutes, maybe even seconds are being shaved off with some of these uh, some of these adjustments that they've added in. I mean, uh, the the four pitch automatic intentional walk. You're like, yeah, cool. You you saved the minute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, exactly. the runner on second and extra innings. Are you really saving any time at all with that? You know, but here we are. All it took yeah. was just a little wristband and a speaker. Yep. And I think that technology is probably going to be the answer for a lot of uh, the game's problems moving forward. And uh, technology is not stopping whether baseball wants it to adopt it or not. Uh, it's going to leave baseball behind if baseball doesn't want to be a part of it. So I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, technology being implemented in the future. And um, eventually I wouldn't be surprised if uh, umpires are, you know, have some glasses that are like augmented reality glasses so that they can uh, see the strike zone in front of them, for example. So when the pitch crosses the plate, they'll know if it was in their uh, strike zone or not. Um, like I think things like that are bound to happen eventually. Um, some of them are going to hit and they're going to work and some of them are going to miss really bad and they're going to be a disaster. But this one, by all means, appears to have been a success. Yeah. Oh, God. Imagine uh, Country Joe West with augmented reality uh, sunglasses. I know. It's such a funny <laughs> thought. But I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be coming. You know, people in the stands are going to be looking, you know, they're using augmented reality. Nickelodeon experimented with it with the NFL. So kids in the crowd could you know, look at the field through their phone and see slime and all that stuff. Like that's the kind of stuff that baseball is going to have to do to attract a younger crowd. So, you know, technology, I, I think it's good that they're trying to uh, merge a little bit with uh, the way that things are going in pop culture and in the world in general. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You're, you're right. I, I think, I think that's, it's the way of the future. I think that's honestly, it's the, it's the answer. Instead of, yeah. instead of gimmicky changes or stuff that shaves off seconds or maybe a minute, literally I'm, just add alter certain aspects of the game from a technology standpoint and it just makes everything so much better right a anytime you're dealing with something like this you want the rule or the change to affect the game as little as possible mm -hmm. you don't want it to change the way the game is played fundamentally mm -hmm. and this is something that doesn't change the game at all whereas the three batter you know three batter minimum and the uh, the pitch clock like that changes the game of baseball dramatically, you know, it makes it very different. Um, so that, yeah, I, I think that the less that it affects play, the better. And this seems to only be making it go faster. It's not affecting play in any other way. Do you think once all 30 teams eventually, uh, I guess, buy into the pitch com that they'll just eliminate the pitch clock because there's just not going to be a need for it anymore because of how quick the guys are pitching? I, I would think so. Uh, it's just one less thing that you have to deal with, you know. Um, I, I think ideally they would like to to get rid of that completely if this works as as they hope it does. Okay. So that, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Because I'm just like, I, I think I saw something like the average, uh, I got pitch delivery in, in like the Yankees game was like seven seconds. Yeah. Which was like incredible. Which was like down, like it was like, you know, twice as fast as it was last year you know, for that pitcher or something like that. It was just like really quick. Yeah. And you mentioned something too. It, it's not just about quickness or speed. It's about rhythm, you mm -hmm. know, like a, a game that has rhythm is so much more enjoyable to watch. 
Mm-hmm. And you you nailed it. These games early in the season have a different rhythm to, rhythm to them with the teams that are using pitch count. Um, so yeah, it's it's awesome that it's working out this well so far. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's preview Guardians and Reds. All right, <clears throat> we got a game at four ten this afternoon. Yes, we got we have a game at four ten going down Cincinnati, the second straight series that the Guardians are playing in the other team's home opener. Mm-hmm. And they're playing in the home opener of all home openers down in Cincinnati. Apparently, Beautiful. great American ballpark, awesome place to see an opening day game. I'm sure. Uh, apparently, it's supposed to be like the premier home opener to go to. So it's on my bucket list one day. Go to a Reds home opener. I, but, I've been down there for a couple uh, Guardians Red series, but never for opening day. So yeah, I'll, I want to go for that one day. That's that's on the bucket list. But. We have a pitching matchup. They are sending Tyler Molly. We have Shane Bieber. <clears throat> Tyler Molly, I've got him right-handed pitcher. He was 13-6 and six last season with a 3.75 ERA. So, yeah, nice year last year. Yeah, pretty solid. Uh, we do have a limited amount of uh, batters who have previously faced him. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Austin Hedges is 2-4-4 for four with two home runs. Wow. So... Wow, wow, wow. If, you, if you're for a prop bet today, Brian. Uh, I'm going to go look into that because he might be like plus 1,500 to Homer. Because <laughs> he's still in this <laughs> on the season. Yeah. Uh, Oscar yeah. Mercado is one for two. Jose Ramirez is one for six with a two-run homer and a walk. Framiel Reyes is one for six. Ahmed Rosario 0 for two. Okay. Uh, so we got, we've, we've hit this guy before. That's good. Yes. And conversely. Uh, the Reds batters have not done particularly well against Shane Bieber as a team slashing 161, 206, 392. Uh, uh, yeah, that's particularly bad. Uh, you know, it's uh, no team does particularly well against Shane Bieber, but mm-hmm. that's uh, that's especially bad. Only two players have homered off of Bieber in the Reds lineup. Uh, Jake Fraley and... Hey, that's my cousin. <laughs> and Tyler Naquin. Yeah, Jake Fraley, not my cousin, um, but a lot of my friends think that he is because I'm pretty good at laying the sarcasm on thick and then moving on. So, uh, uh, yeah, so- I, I drop that a lot. I, I tell my friends, oh, yeah, that's my cousin Jake. I haven't seen him in years, but oh, good <laughs> dude. Uh, and then I just move on and let people think that for the, the next couple months before they realize that I'm fraud. Uh, yeah, and you also do that with <laughs> former Browns player Hank Fraley. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's my uncle. That's Uncle Hank. <laughs> Uncle Hank and Cousin Jake, yeah. Um, the Fraley's are everywhere. Taking over. Uh, some but go other... on, who was the other one that homered? I got Jake Fraley. Who was the other one? Tyler Naquin. Ty- oh, uh, Tyler Naquin. Wow. Didn't expect that one. No, not not really. Not really. Uh, but looking at uh, some of the other batters of note, Brandon Drury, one for five. He's more of a part-time player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Farmer's 0 for four, but he's been off uh, to a decent start this year. Uh, Colin Moran 0 for 3, Mike Moustakis 0 for 2, both strikeouts, Tommy Pham 3 for 14, he has got the highest sample size, or I guess largest sample size, but he does have two doubles, mm, and okay. uh, Joey Votto 4 for 12, two doubles. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know, I, I just hope that we could score some runs for Bieber, <laughs> I feel so bad for the guy, because he's, uh, you, you like to use the term getting degromed. I do. Um, I'm, and, a, I'm a big uh, fan of that term. 
Yeah, and I think that he's been a victim of that already in this young season. So I hope we score some runs for him today and at least put him in a good position to get the W. I believe the Guardians lineup is already out. So Nice, perfect. I believe we have Owen Miller in the lineup again. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's hot. Keep him in there. Keep him in the lineup. Let me see. As long as you're keeping Chang and Bradley out, I am okay. Okay, I found the lineup. Here we go. Loading. Sorry, this is great audio. Um, no, no. Uh, <laughs> real quick, let me ask you while that's loading. Has Have the Reds named the starter for tomorrow's game yet? Yes, they have. Uh, Nick Lodolo making his okay. MLB debut. Okay, Nick Lodolo making his MLB debut versus Tristan McKenzie. That'll be at 12.35 tomorrow afternoon. That's fantastic. Anyways, uh, no Bradley, no Chang. They're running out the same lineup they had yesterday. I love it. Why not? I yeah. mean, until it until it fails, just keep keep running that lineup until it fails. Yep. Uh, let's see. Oh, Jake Fraley, DH for the Reds today. <laughs> hey yo! Um, so I I love I love this though. I love that the Reds have a DH today. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, I think it's ultimately another change that the MLB made that'll be uh, good for the game. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Because normally when we were in Cincinnati, uh, we would not be using a DH. We would have to have the pitcher up to bat. But this is the first year that we can visit Cincinnati and not have to. Uh, go by those rules so yeah outside of the outside of the 2020 season um right right yeah which was anomalous because of the covid but yeah we only played central division teams and but right. uh not having to make the decision on whether or not to play fran Mil reyes or gamble about his uh defensive abilities out in the field and just plop him at dh and call it a day uh big but, relief big hu- big. huge relief but owen miller at first andres jimenez at second i love it uh i love it i love it i love it awesome uh, Fantastic. Let's let's look into uh, the second game. Tristan McKenzie has only faced a couple of guys in their lineup before. Uh, Tyler Naquin's one for three. Uh, Joey Votto, one for one, walking twice. Kyle Farmer, 0 for one. Jake Fraley has a walk. That's it. Did I say Jonathan not, India, 0 for two? Jonathan no, India, 0 for did two. Not. But that's good. Uh so that's, that's very good. Yeah, so not not bad at all. I like that matchup for us. Um, and I, I'd like a 12.35 p.m. start, too. I love that. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, Nick Lodolo making his MLB debut last year uh, at A Louisville. Uh, did not have the best run there, but he had a 5-4 ERA, 1-3-5-0 whip. In hmm. just three games, but the the bigger thing to take notice is that back in Double A across ten games, one eight four ERA, point nine oh nine WHIP, thirteen point nine strikeouts per nine, oh uh, thirteen wow. and a half uh, strikeouts per nine up at Triple A. So he can strike them out. He can strike them uh, out. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, I like this matchup though. Uh, I still like McKenzie in this one. Um, but yeah, is is this their most? Would this be their most highly touted pitching prospect? Would you say for uh, the Reds? Hunter Green. Hunter Green. Okay. Hunter Green. Hunter Green. Uh, yeah. He made his debut the other day. Uh, he allowed uh, three runs over five innings, strikeout in seven. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Those are the two guys, and uh, Nick Lodolo is gonna. 
I think he's going to be a good pitcher. I don't know how he'll do. Uh, mm-hmm. not, we don't get the uh, the the uh, the Steven Strasburg debut all the time. You know what I mean? No, uh, you don't. You, that doesn't happen all that often. But looking particularly at the Reds lineup, um, they're <clears throat> they only have two home runs as a team: Tyler Stevenson and Brandon Drury. Uh, not a lot of pop in this lineup. The only other guys to hit for extra bases are Kyle Farmer, who has a double. Nick Senzel with a double, and Tyler Naquin with a double. Wow. So they are coming out of the gate relatively flat. Yeah, so this is a good good chance for the Guardians to pick up a couple wins this week. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely have a good chance at that. Uh, as a team, they're slashing 200, 274, 269. OPS of just 543. Uh, mm. Insert puke emoji here. Um, <laughs> yeah, not the best if you're a Reds fan. Not particularly good, but I, I think that we got solid chances in both of these games for the Guardians to, to win these games, and I I really do believe that they can take care of business uh, down in Cincinnati and you know get that Ohio Cup. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as of right now, as the Guardians sit at 2-2, two and two, there are no undefeated teams in the entire major leagues uh, anymore. So they're only a game out of first place in the entire league right now. So <laughs> exciting early time to be a Guardians fan. Uh, so if they could get two more wins here, a 4-2 and two start would be incredible. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, before we, uh, before we uh, get out of here, I do have one question for you. Uh, Josh Naylor is supposed to be back uh as early as this friday yes who do you think uh, gets removed from the roster here Mm. (laughs) it's tough to say right now with some of the guys that are in there and how well they're hitting Mm -hmm. um i would imagine that one of those you know players is gonna end up coming back down to earth i would say Mm -hmm. um and we'll kind of figure that out over the next couple days Uh, i think that whoever's got Basically, the coldest bat at the time, uh, they're probably going to sub out for Naylor and give Naylor a shot. Um, so I don't, I don't think we have the answer to that yet, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. Worth noting, worth noting, uh, Chang and Bradley are both out of options, so either one would have to be designated for assignment. Oh, and that's big. That so. is big. I, I, for what it's worth, I do think some team would take a chance on Bradley. I don't know if the same applies to Chang. Yeah, Bradley, he's still, you know promising young prospect in in terms of you know the abilities that he has it's just we haven't seen it from a production standpoint from him we haven't and that's that, that's a problem but yeah it really is but with that this is good time been, to be a guardians fan yes this is a fun podcast uh, a lot of things to be optimistic about right now so i'm i'm excited for the next one to see where we uh we end up after these two games yeah it should be an entertaining little two game uh, series down in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, everyone, we're just going to be sitting here watching Stephen Kwan do Stephen Kwan things. Okay. And they're fantastic. Yep. Uh, and then we will meet again before the home opener. Yes, uh, we will. So, so we will preview the first game on the corner of Carnegie and Quanterio, as you so eloquently put it on Twitter today. <laughs> And with that, just a reminder, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and thisisbelieveone.com. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and tell your friends and family, or else it's stealing. Yeah, don't steal. Not cool, people. Not cool. Not cool.